Now, are you ready for God's Word this morning? We're going to be continuing our journey into the book of Acts as we seek to understand the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. And today, I'm going to be talking to you about what does the Spirit-filled church look like in the book of Acts. So we're going to go now to our text for today in Acts chapter 2, reading from verse 42 to verse 47. So follow along with me as I read these verses for you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who has need. And every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's bow and we have a word of prayer. Father, I pray that this morning, again, you open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your scripture. Lord, I pray that you will anoint your servant so that I may deliver your heart to your people. And Lord, as we go through these verses, we also want these verses to go through us so that our hearts, our minds, our wills can be conformed to your desires. Lord, may you come and speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, by the time uh, we come to the end of the day of Pentecost, the early church, you would have noticed, have grown from 120 to 3,120. And do you realize, brothers and sisters, that is 2,600% growth. So much has happened in just one day. And right up to this point in the book of Acts, we have just come to 10 a.m. in the morning on the day of Pentecost. Now, my question is this. 3,000 people were added to the church that day. But the question is, what kind of a church were these 3,000 added to? And in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, we, the, the writer of the book of Acts actually give us a glimpse into what the early church looked like. And you notice in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the first thing Luke told us was what they were devoted to. And I think that's very important. What are we devoted to? What was the early church devoted to? That word devoted in the Greek is the word proskaterio, which actually means steadfastly giving attention to. It means to persevere intensely, to be strong towards. In other words, they were very intentional about paying attention to these few critical things that they were devoting themselves to. So the question is, what are these things that they were devoted to? Let me outline for you three key things. Number one is this. They were devoted to the right content or what Luke calls the apostles' teaching. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, he begins by telling us this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Again, that word devoted, praskatiros, pay steadfast attention to, to attend continually, to give constant care to. So what did they give constant care and continual attention to? They said it's the apostles' teaching, didacta, or doctrine, that which is taught. Now, it is critically important for the church to be able to correctly divide the Word of God. 
because right belief, brothers and sisters, will lead to right behaviour. The Apostle Paul actually reminded us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 to 15. Listen to this. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarrelling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. So do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. Hallelujah. The point here is not to try and outdo one another in semantics and terminologies, arguing over words, but to capture the heart of biblical teachings and then to put them into practice. Now, it's interesting for us to remember that at that time, to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching is not all about just Bible study as we know it today. Because remember, they did not have the canon of Scripture until, until AD 367. The printing press at that time has not yet been invented. And, and most who are in the early church were illiterate. So when they say that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, I think they're talking about the oral teachings of the apostles, telling the people what they have seen and what they have heard from the Lord Jesus when they were with the Master. So I could picture the apostles actually telling the people that when we were in, with Jesus, this is what Jesus told us, and then now they are telling the people. The important thing is that the early church did not just hear what the apostles said, but they do what the apostles said. As Edmund Chan, my dear friend and mentor, would say, truth does not transform lives. The truth applied transformed lives. So the early church devoted themselves to the learning and the doing of the apostles' teaching. Now that's right content. Okay? That's the first thing they devoted themselves to, the apostles' teaching, content. Number two is Community, real community. They devoted themselves, Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says, and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Okay, that's the second thing they devoted themselves to, fellowship and the breaking of bread. Now, the word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia, which literally means joint participation, community, contribution, communion. Now, I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, that this is a very strong word, koinonia, which is used for Siamese twins uh, that share the same bloodstream, share the same organs, and they cannot be easily separated. Now, it means, therefore, for us to share in the same life. It is much deeper than just friendship. It can only happen when we have the same Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, this is what makes us one in the body. It is the same Spirit that we have in us. So this word koinonia is not just describing two friends uh, sitting together at the same table, each drinking their individual bowl of soup. But I think the picture you get is two brothers drinking the soup out of the same bowl. <laughs> so in other words, they share saliva. And that's the, the, the true meaning of the word koinonia. It's true fellowship, community, koinonia. And that is why I think the Holy Communion, the breaking of bread, is most beautifully symbolized by drinking from the same cup 
and eating from the same loaf rather than the little plastic ones, the, the plastic cups and little round wa wafers that we have. But, you know, we do that primarily because of uh, pragmatic and hygienic purposes. But you listen, brothers and sisters, what is teaching us is this. Faith that is actively shared and participated in is faith that pleases God. And that is what our connect groups are ready for. What is a connect group? It's a group of covenant friends doing life together, centered around Christ and His Word. See, that's true community. And that's what the early church was devoted to. They were devoted to right content, real community. And here's the third one, and a very important one. They were devoted to inner consecration. Now, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, put it this way. They were devoted to prayer. That's the thing. The word prayer in the Greek literally means prayer, prayer that is addressed to God. It means to supplicate, to worship. So as the early church devoted themselves to that which is critical inside, um, it overflowed into a life of effectiveness on the outside. As they faithfully took care of their inner life, it resulted in an outward life of fruitfulness, you see. And Leonard Ravenhill actually put it this way. He says, a man is no better than his prayer life. And as we begin to take care of the, if we allow ourselves to be devoted to the Word of God, you know, to the right content, to the apostles' teaching, as we devoted ourselves to really do life together as a covenant people, and as we devote ourselves to prayer, you know, something powerful begins to explode on our inside. And Leonard Ravenhill, the great revivalist, says, a man is no better than his prayer life. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know this. The greatest thing that anyone can do for God and for man is to pray. Now, I'm not saying that it's the only thing, but it is the main thing. The great people of the earth today are the people who pray. And I'm not talking about people who believe in prayer or talk about prayer or even teach on prayer. I'm talking about those who actually take time to pray. These are the greatest people on the face of the earth today. Brothers and sisters, prayer is power. The time of prayer is a time of power. The place of prayer is a place of prayer. Uh, it's a place of power. The people of prayer is a people of power. And we have seen through the scriptures, through prayer, the mouths of lions have been closed. All sorts of diseases have been healed. Wars have ceased. Demons have been expelled. Chains of bondages have been broken. And laws of nature itself has been changed. And that is why the devil would do anything and everything to stop you and I from praying. But I tell you, prayer, my brothers and sisters, is the pathway to consecration. And that's what the early church was devoted to. They were devoted to a consecrated life. And brothers and sisters, consecration is the holy grail of discipleship. It is the holy of holies of disciple making. I like the way the Puritan Thomas Kelly puts it. Now listen to this. This is what he sees as consecration. And I think it's so powerful. He wrote this. The fruits of holy obedience are many, but two are so closely linked together that they can scarcely be treated separately. And they are the passion for personal holiness and the sense of utter humility. God inflames the soul with a craving for absolute purity. 
but He, in His glorious otherness, empties us of ourselves in order that He may become all. And so, in lowly humility, we must stick close to the root and count our own powers as nothing except as they are enslaved in His power. Wow! You know, that is bringing consecration almost to an irreducible minimum. The twin pillars of inward holiness and quiet humility. See, that this is a holiness that flows from the inside out and not just driven by outward piety. And we are talking here about humility that comes out of a recognition of God's greatness that actually dwarfs any goodness of our own. That is what consecration really is. That as we begin to know God through His Word, as we begin to do life together, you know, with, with, with kindred spirits, out of our life will come a consecration. You know, I'm reminded of uh, a phrase that I read by uh, another Puritan by the name of Charles de Foca, who defined his life as one that is present to God and present to people. You know, the, the pillar of inward holiness is evident by a life so conscious of God that we are constantly present to Him. You know, God is, we are so intimate with the Lord that we are always present to God and God is always present to us. There's such a consciousness of God in our everyday life. And this is what Brother Lawrence calls practicing the presence of God. You know, Martin Luther, the great reformer, used to say that the maid, the servant who is scrubbing the kitchen floor, is serving the Lord as much as the priest who is on his knees praying in the chapel. Why? Because they are both present to Christ. And once we have this intimacy with God, this um, consciousness of God, then I tell you, our devotional life is no longer one that is tacked on, you know, one hour a day or half an hour a day, but our devotional life becomes one that is built in 24-7. Prayer, communion, intimacy with God is no longer an outward event, but it is an inner disposition of our heart. There is this consciousness of God. We are so present to God all the time. Oswald Chambers uh, used to write this, Do not have as your motive the desire to be known as a praying person but you get an inner chamber in which to pray where no one knows you are praying. Shut the door. Talk to God in secret. Have no other motive in prayer than to know your Father in heaven. I love that. You know, there is this consciousness of God that is so deep and so real that prayer becomes just a natural outflow. It's as natural as breathing. It is keeping company with God. And all we want to do in prayer is to know our Father in heaven. I think that's inward holiness. That is true consecration. So here are the three things that they were devoted to in the early church. They were devoted to content, they were devoted to community, and they were devoted to consecration. Now, if we focus on these three critical elements, what will the outcome be? And this is where I'm challenging all of us as a church that today, as we put our focus on these three things of content, community, consecration, we can become the church that God birthed. And what, what does this church look like? 
Their, Luke actually went on to paint us a picture of what the spirit church, uh, spirit filled church looks like in the in the book of Acts. So let me outline for you now six pictures of the early church. Number one, we see that because of their right focus, because of the right devotion, they became, number one, a powerful church. The power of God was so tangible in the early church that everyone was filled with awe. We were filled with wonder. You know, the fear of God was so thick in the atmosphere that they could literally touch the presence of the Lord. Signs, wonders, miracles were happening every day. No wonder the people were so anxious. They were so eager to meet up every day in the temple courts. You see, I have a feeling that in the early church, when the apostles and make the announcement, we are having another meeting, everybody shout hallelujah. Today, if I were to stand up and tell everybody, we're going to have another meeting, the people all go, ah, yeah, you know, another meeting. Now, can you imagine the early church was seeing each other every day, daily they were meeting in the temple courts. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that we need to do this, but I'm simply pointing out the eagerness in which the early church wanted to gather. Why? I'll tell you why. Because God was moving powerfully in their midst, bringing breakthroughs, meeting felt needs through the power of God. The church was so happening. The people wanted to, to be there. It's not that they have to be there, but they want to be there. And brothers and sisters, when revival comes, this will happen. In every major revival I read about in the history of the church, we see people gathering to hear the Word of God and to see God do things that are literally out of this world. You know, during the Welsh revival in 1904, they saw bars and cinemas closed down because people were not going there. Debts were being repaid, restitutions were made, relationships were healed. The coal miners, you know, in, in Wales, they literally clean up their language so much that the donkeys in the, coal, in, in the coal mines refuse to move because they cannot recognize the commands of their masters anymore without the usual profanities, you know. When the profanities are gone, even the donkeys cannot recognize the commands anymore. You know, during the revival under John Wesley, it was so powerful, it impacted society, so much so that historians actually wrote this, England is never the same after John and Charles Wesley. That is really a revival that impacted their world, a powerful revival. You know, for two weeks in 1935, John Sung, the great Chinese evangelist, preached in Singapore. And in, in his visit in, in that two weeks, over 2,000 people were saved and over 100 preaching teams were sent out to proclaim the gospel all over the streets of Singapore. And over 100 polygamists put away their concubines. All the Bibles in Bible society at that time were sold out because people had such a hunger for God's Word. Hinghua Methodist Church, which is where I was pastoring, I had the privilege of pastoring for about eight years, was opened by John Sung himself. You know, on the plaque outside the church, we'll find this, 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 this plaque there that actually says this church was opened by John Sung. And that was a revival whose impact lasted to today. And my heart cry has always been this, God, you have done it before. You can do it again. You can make us a powerful church. But first, our hearts must be devoted to the right things. 
Here's number two. They were a caring church. Not only powerful, but they were caring, loving. You know, I love this story that was told about a mother that was preparing pancakes for her, for her two boys. You know, there's Kevin, there's six years old, and Ryan, there's four years old. And as the mother was preparing the pancake, the two brothers got into an argument about who should have the first piece. And the mom immediately saw an opportunity for an object lesson here. And so she turned to her two boys and she said this, if Jesus were here, he would have said, let my brother have the first piece. And immediately, Kevin turned to Ryan and said, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> Where did that come from? Right? The early church was radical when it comes to giving to the Lord. And they, they were sharing their material possessions unselfishly with one another. That is a picture of a spirit-filled church. Their relationship with each other was so strong that they could not tolerate anyone in the church living in material needs when others are well off. They rather sell their possession and goods just to meet the needs of others. One historian actually wrote concerning the early church, and I like this, it says, when Christians found someone in need, they would fast so that they may feed the brother in need. Their philosophy was simply this, to live simply that others may simply live. One mark of the Spirit-filled church is the spirit of generosity, the spirit of giving. You see, without generosity, it's hard to be caring. Uh, please understand, I'm not therefore saying that we need to be rich before we can be generous. No, I don't think so. Uh, if you are, there are rich people that are not generous and there are poor people that are very generous. Like if you are rich, you may buy me lunch uh, at higher hotel. But if you are not so rich, you can always cook me a plate of spaghetti. Isn't that right? You see, in both cases, you are generous to the level of your ability. The important thing is the fact that you care and you sought to be generous and you put in more than you take out. That's the spirit of it. And the early church was a church like that. They were a caring church. Here's number three. They were a united church. Now, while they were growing vertically in their relationship with God, at the same time, they were growing horizontally in their relationship with one another. See, notice again that when they were describing their depths of relationship, you notice food is mentioned, right? Because food always speaks of fellowship. And in Jewish culture, eating together is important. Now, some scholars actually believe that the breaking of bread in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 is referring to the Lord's Supper. But the breaking of bread from house to house in Acts chapter 2, verse 46 means the sharing of meals in individual homes. You see, one emphasized the corporate relationship in Christ, the other, their individual relationship with each other. And how many of you know, both are important to the foundation of any local church. You see, togetherness is a profound X factor that makes strong local churches. Unity is power. Unity is power. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5, the Apostle Paul describes our unity this way. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded in having the same love, being one in Spirit and of one mind. 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So, what is our unity rooted in? I'll put it in one word, others-centeredness. It's about being others-centered. The key to unity is to eradicate self-centeredness, embrace true humility in our heart, and then emulate Jesus Christ. Let the same mindset that is in Christ Jesus be in us. In so doing, it will make our joy complete. Now, this is where it brings me to the next point. They were also a joyful church. The early church lived in an atmosphere of gladness and joy. They were praising the Lord constantly. And I think that's what the church of Jesus Christ should be. We should be the happiest people on the face of this earth. You know why? Because we are the only people who really knows what's going on. We have the God of the universe on our side. So why shouldn't we be happy? Why should we be sad? You know, all of us should have watermelon faces and not papaya faces, right? We should be happy and smiling and not, you know, lamenting all the time. We should be spreading joy to the world around us. But often, you know what? I found that many Christians are just as anxious, just as worried like everybody else. You know, so many Christians walk around like as if they have been baptized in lemon juice. You know, it's all, their faces are all screwed up, you know. And, and then when you go to a sinner and then you, you tell the pre-believer, come and join us. They look at your face and they say, what for? <laughs> what for? Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preacher, he used to train people in preaching. And, but before he released them to preach, he always said this to them. When you talk about heaven, smile. Let your faces light up. Let the people know that heaven is a wonderful, happy place. And when you talk about hell, he look at them and he says, just be yourself. <laughs> just be yourself. You see, so here's my challenge to you. I believe that when the joy of the Lord is with us, when the Holy Spirit fills us, we become a joyful people. And then we put on a yes face, which is smile more because it increases our face value, right? So smile, you know, and find our joy, not in our circumstances, but find our joy in our relationship with Jesus Christ. The early church was like that. They were a joyful church. Here's number five. They were also a praying church. The early church was a church constantly in prayer, corporately, individually. Every time you, look, you read the book of Acts, you, you notice this. The apostles have just finished praying or they're on their way to prayer or they're about to pray. You see, and you'll notice also, they seldom talk about prayer, but they're constantly doing it. Now, some of you may be asking, you know, and I'll take this opportunity to just share this with you so that you understand where I'm coming from. Some people may be asking, why don't FCC have a weekly prayer meeting? Like many other churches do, right? Why don't we have a weekly prayer meeting here? Are we not a praying church? Now, let me share with you the background to this. Now, many years ago, I have a prayer mentor. Her name is Lai King Posen from Singapore. So she's actually one of the chief drivers uh, of the prayer movement in Singapore. She's, she once said this to me. She said, Benny, don't think prayer meeting. Think prayer mobilization. 
And I thought that was powerful. Don't think prayer meeting, think prayer mobilization. You see, having a prayer meeting does not make you a praying church. You know, it may tick the box because we always think that a prayer meeting is the measurement of the prayerfulness of the church. But the reality I've observed, and I have led many churches into this, the reality is that most corporate prayer meetings are attended by a few people, sometimes even less than a a connect group. So the challenge I realized was this, that I need not just think prayer meeting, I need to think prayer mobilization, that instead of focusing on keeping a corporate prayer meeting going for a few people, why not bring prayer into every sector of the church? Make prayer a lifestyle in our daily devotion, in our personal closet. We pray, right? When the staff team comes together, we pray. When the executive leadership team comes together to make decisions for the church, we pray. When the zonal leadership comes together, we pray. When the connect group comes together, make sure you pray. Because just having the whole connect group praying together for, for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, what are you doing? You're mobilizing prayer. See, instead of a few people praying in a corporate prayer meeting, we are mobilizing the entire church to pray. Now, does that therefore mean that we don't have corporate prayer gatherings at all? No, there will be seasons of prayer when the church, the whole church, need to come together and experience the power of corporate prayer. What about those who are gifted in prayer and intercession? That's what our GEMS ministry is for. And the GEMS ministry prays every single Saturday morning and everyone in the church are open to join. And I would encourage more of us to join the GEMS ministry, pray down a storm for the church. You are a praying church, not because you have a prayer meeting, but because prayer is mobilized from every sector of the church, from the closet, to the cell, to the cluster, to the congregation, to the city even. See, that's what they were devoted to. And that's why the early church became a praying church. And that leads us to the last thing. They were a growing church. Reaching the lost was a priority for the early church right from the start. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 47. It tells us they were enjoying the favor of all the people. All the people means the lost are included as well. See, even the pre-believers were favorable towards the church. And the amazing thing is that with such strong fellowship, because they were a very caring church, it would have been easy for them to turn inward and start to neglect those outside of the church. But I want you to know, the early church never fell into that trap. So the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And that's why they grow from strength to strength. What a church. Is that true? What a church. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, God wants strong local churches that are rooted in the Word, fervent in prayer, bonded in fellowship, powerful in the Spirit, supernatural in orientation, joyful in the Spirit, and zealous in evangelism. But one of the keys to the strength of the early church, and you mustn't miss this, is found in these words that keep coming up in verse 42 to 47 of Acts chapter 2. There are words like everyone, all, all things, every day, daily. Do you know what this tells us? It actually tells us Christianity is not 
a once-a-week routine. It must be a daily affair. Christianity is not a once-a-week, let's come to church, do all these things. But it is a daily affair. They met daily. They cared for one another daily. They won souls daily. They searched scriptures daily. You see, they fellowship daily. They grew daily. Their Christian faith is a day-to-day reality. If you want to be a spirit-filled church, every person in the church must be actively involved. It is not a case of a few people moving ahead while others get dragged along. No, everyone was a participant. In the early church, all of them were motivated. All of them believed. All of them were dedicated. All were moving in the same direction. Every single one of them were committed. When it was time to pray, they all prayed. When it was time for teaching, they all received the word together. When it was time to give, they all gave. Everyone took responsibility for the house of God. And why not? Because after all, do you realize the local church is the greatest institution on the face of this earth. It is the only institution that is going to last beyond time into eternity. And we belong to the greatest institution on the face of this earth. And we need to be proud of the local church because the local church is the apple of God's eyes. It is God's means to transform the world. You know, I, let, me, let me end with this. You know, there was a great story I love to tell about a Rotary Club meeting, you know, and all the new members were actually asked that day to stand up and say something about their job, you know, tell us who you are and what you do. And what they didn't know was that the local pastor of that community actually joined the Rotary Club. So when they got to this guy, they said, why don't you stand and tell us a bit about what you do? And the pastor said, are you sure? They said, yeah, yeah, tell us what you do. So he stood up and this was his speech and I love what he said. Listen to this. Here's the pastor speaking. He said, I'm with a global enterprise. We have branches in every country in the world. We have our representatives in nearly every government and boardroom on earth. We run hospitals, universities, schools, soup kitchens, publishing houses, nursing homes, radio and TV stations. We care for our clients all the way from birth to death and even beyond. All our products, by the way, are free because after all, no one can afford to buy it. We do life insurance and fire insurance. We perform heart transplant. We do the ultimate complete makeover. Our founding chairman owns all the real estate on earth, plus an assortment of planets, galaxies, and constellations. He lives everywhere. He knows everything, and he's in touch with everybody. Our CEO, however, is born in a small town, worked as a carpenter, never owned a home, was misunderstood by his family, hated by his enemies, but he walked on water and he was condemned to death without a trial, but he rose from the dead. How do I know? I just reported to him this morning. Wow, what a description of the church, isn't it? And no wonder Bill Hybers said, there is nothing like the church when it is working right. And brothers and sisters, we are living in exciting times. The spiritual climate is changing. God is raising strong local churches all over this nation. Churches that preach the unadulterated Word of God. Churches that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And churches that reaches out to the lost. And I believe with all my heart that if we devote ourselves 
to the things that the early church were devoted to. We devote ourselves to the right content, the Word of God, the unchanging Word of God. We devote ourselves to community. We devote ourselves to authentic community where people do life together and we challenge one another and our fellowship is revolving around Christ and His Word. And we devote ourselves to live lives of consecration. As we devote ourselves to prayer, you know, I believe that God is going to make us the church that He wants us to be. And I believe that FCC can be that strong local church. And may, that, may the Holy Spirit just come and birth a desire in each one of us. Firstly, to devote ourselves to these three things of community, of content, and consecration. And then out of that, God is the one who is going to make us the church He wants us to be. Would you bow your heads with me and allow me to pray? And may you also, from the depths of your heart, cry out to Him because this is who we want to be corporately. And as we get to know the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, it is His Holy Spirit that is going to bring us to this focus and the Holy Spirit will enable us, empower us to become the church that God birthed. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, today I cry out to you from the depths of our heart that you will paint this picture of what the church can be like. Lord, as we as a church devote ourselves to right content, to real community, and to a deep inner consecration, may you make us this powerful, united, caring, joyful, praying church. God, raise us up to become a church that can touch the lost for you. Lord, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you will come and you stir up a desire in each one of us that as we devote ourselves to the study of your word, as we devote ourselves to not only know your word, but to do your word, Lord, make us a people like Jesus. Lord, as we devote ourselves to journey with one another, as we devote ourselves to do life together with the people in our connect group, Lord, knit our hearts together by your Spirit. May we become a people that would demonstrate what the early church was like. And then God, as we devote ourselves to live lives of consecration, Lord, may you come and do a deep work in us and then out of our inner life give us a ministry that can touch a lost world Lord we invite you to come and make that real in our church make us a caring praying powerful spirit filled church devoted to your word and to lives of consecration we pray in Jesus name Amen you know from week to week Brothers and sisters, there are so many people being ministered to, people being healed. And if you are here watching this live stream with us today and you have a need in your life, I want you to know that this is what you can do. And even though we are on air, but I believe that God can minister uh, to you. And if you have a need, a personal need this morning, 
and or the Lord has spoken to you and you really want to process this and you want someone to pray with you, you could go into the chat box and you click the link that is there now and this link will take you to a Zoom room where our intercessors are waiting to actually pray with you one-on-one. Whatever your need may be, whether you need a touch, a healing touch, whether you need someone to pray over you, whether it's something that you want to just uh, pour out uh, to someone that can pray for you, just click that link and we'll go there and you will receive personal ministry. So wherever you are watching this, go ahead and do that. And thank you once again for joining us. God bless you.